0: Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos in Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. Today I'm talking with Professor Jesús Lara. Dr. Lara is an associate professor at the Knowlton School of Architecture Administration. His research and pedagogy are centered on sustainable urban design, Latino urbanism, community development, and on the sociocultural factors that influence planning and design. His most recent publication, Latino Placemaking and Planning, Cultural Resiliency and Strategies for Reurbanization, published in 2018, examines the application of the principles of Latino urbanism and the revitalization of American cities. Bienvenido a este episodio, Jesús.
1: Hi Elena, thanks for inviting me here today. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you from Ohio?
1: Actually, no, I'm not from Ohio. I'm, I was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. That's where my family comes from. We moved to Southern California when I was about 17 years old. Mm-hmm. We live in the area of San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. It's about sixteen miles east from Los Angeles. My whole family is still there. Mm-hmm. My father was a migrant farm worker during the Bracero programs during the 1950s, mm. ni- late 1950s, early 1960s. So that's how we ended up coming here to the United States.
0: When did you move to Ohio? Uh,
1: in 2007, once I, I got a teaching position here in the School of Architecture. Okay. So I've been here for 14 years.
0: Wow. Uh, tell me about your journey in higher education and your interest in urban planning.
1: Well, just like most immigrants when they first come to this country, I didn't have any knowledge of the English language. So, When I first came here, I spent about three years going to community college and taking ESL courses. Mm -hmm. So like I said, I didn't have a knowledge of the English language. So after three years, I started taking some regular classes, some general education classes, so I can transfer to four-year college. Mm -hmm. Took me about almost five years before I was ready to transfer to four-year college. I went to California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California. Mm-hmm. I always knew I wanted to focus on architecture and the build environment, but once I got to Cali- Cal Poly Pomona, I discovered landscape architecture. Mm. So I did my undergraduate in landscape architecture. I graduated in 2004. By the time I graduated, the economy was really bad, so mm. I couldn't find a job right away. So I spent three years working in the landscape architecture industry doing all kinds of jobs. So after that, I decided to go to graduate school. So I went to the University of Southern California for a master's in urban planning and also got a master's in landscape architecture as well. Mm -hmm. But when I was there, I discovered that I wanted to get into academia. Mm -hmm. So I knew to get into academia, you need to have a PhD to teach courses in in the field of planning. So I went to Arizona State University, Mm -hmm. and I got into environmental design and planning PhD program. Mm -hmm. While I was at Arizona State Mm -hmm. University, I had the opportunity to go abroad for a year. Mm -hmm. I received one of these Fulbright scholarships, and I ended up going to the Netherlands for a whole year to study sustainable urban design practices. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much how
0: that's yeah. amazing. That's yeah. a gr- a great journey. Uh and also different places that you've lived, right? Uh in the United States and, you know, also thinking about California, Arizona, and then yep. now Ohio, right?
1: <laughs> also was in New Mexico before I came here. I spent one semester in, uh, in the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. I was part of the I was a visiting faculty there for one semester. Uh-huh. And yeah. that's a,
0: that's a beautiful place yes, too. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um I've always been interested um And visiting Latino, Latina neighborhoods and the areas where I've lived or visit. That's one of the first things I do. Um, And I do it because I want to find good and authentic food, um, reason number one. But also because it reminds me of home, Uh, even when certain neighborhoods might be distinctly of a heritage different than my own. because I know that I will learn new things, but also see familiar things like panadería, supermercados, quinceañera shops, and, and things like that. Uh, from informal and formal conversations with the elders of uh, communities like, like this, uh, distinctly either Latino or, you know, uh, other ethnic um, groups, uh, these communities weren't part of the planning process of a city, right? Um, so... Instead, there is a group of people that, that come, uh, you know, from a, from a country or a, a region and they settle in this particular neighborhood. They bring more people of the same country and region. And then we begin to see shops, services, restaurants, and even well-established uh, businesses and buildings begin to change their signage um, to include Spanish, for example. Uh, can you comment on this? What have you found in your own research? Um, and obviously specific to Latino neighborhoods.
1: Sure, Elena. Actually, all the things that you just described is what is known as Latino urbanism, study and I feel study in urban planning. Mm-hmm. Latino urbanism is an emerging approach to planning, design, and development that responds to the Latino lifestyles, culture preference, economic needs, and this is reflected in the built environment. And these elements are essential for revitalization of our cities and neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. For example, socialization, leisure activities, commerce. These are the things that are foundation in the Latinx cultures and are represented in the built environment. And like you said, actually, this is about a bottom-up process that's driven by residents, community leaders, and nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. And this process needs to be recognized and integrated as part of the formal planning process. So, because there are so many benefits, and some people especially policymakers that are not aware of these benefits. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to do here.
0: Right, right. So I don't know if you're familiar here, the closest um or maybe more intentional way of what I think and, and obviously you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh you're you're the, the expert here. <laughs> um but um uh, the Cleveland area, the La Villa Hispana, right? There is an area in Cleveland that has been uh, traditional Latino, right? Yes. Historically, the Puerto Rican community, um, you know, was there. Um, and it is going through a process of economic development, um, highlighting the community that has been there historically, but also building in uh, new. Um, uh, shops services things like that um, and i uh, you know and uh, and just learning uh, from it myself and um and from visiting you know other cities that with with a, a similar similar pattern, I really am interested in in how this the community or the city is responding to um maybe an already established community. Um, what, what experience do you have with uh, maybe looking at different neighborhoods, either here in Ohio or in other parts?
1: I, I think first it's really, is really important to understand what peop- why people move to specific areas, specific locations. Mm-hmm. Talking to research, doing, during my research, talking to local residents, there's a series, series of elements that need to be present for people to move into these areas. First, mm-hmm. they have to be jobs available. Mm-hmm family, friends, and people with similar backgrounds. This is what is referred as chain migration. Mm -hmm. So it's important that these elements are present. Also, they move to these areas because of property values are affordable and they can rent or buy a home. Also, they have access to public transportation. Mm. When immigrants first come here to the United States or they move from other parts of the country, they look for these characteristics and qualities. In generally, it's really difficult for them to afford a car, so they need to move to locations where there's public transportation available Mm -hmm. and jobs that are close by. Mm -hmm. So that's why they move to these specific areas, specific neighborhoods through in different cities. And when they move to these areas, actually, there are research that has shown that immigrants can help to revitalize neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. For example, we can talk about Revitalization of the Bronze Field in Chicago, mm. Fillmore and Mission District in San Francisco, the Broadway District in Los Angeles, Little Saigon in San Diego. Immigrants have contributed to make these places more livable because they bring their culture, they bring their business, they contribute to the economy, and they mm-hmm. create jobs as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm great um, I do like um, to see you know what's happening uh, for example in places like like Cleveland and here in Ohio, in Columbus where we are um, looking at the different neighborhoods that that um, I mean we have you know on the west side here in Columbus is a distinctly Latino neighborhood but we also see um, little pockets right uh, everywhere in the city uh, and it's interesting that you you mentioned transportation I remember having a conversation um with new immigrants that came to the L.A. area. And one of the main, I I guess, uh, complaints or uh, what was shocking to them is that the transportation was not as good, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, you know, versus places like San Francisco, for example, right? Um, And that was really a barrier for them to even um, stay there, right? Uh, Lacking access to transportation was a big problem you know a uh, hurdle and and um, so they choose to to move to other areas, but you 're right um, if 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 that 's not available then then you need to make sure that you're in a neighborhood that might have all the services that you need, right, so that you don't require a car, for example,
1: yeah, and we can see this clearly in Columbus. There are two distinct areas, one of them is the more short corridor in the mm-hmm. north side. Mm-hmm. They have access to really good public transportation. There are plenty of jobs in the service industry. Mm -hmm. So that's why you see lots of Latino immigrants and from other ethnic backgrounds moving to that area. The other area in Columbus is the west side Mm -hmm. around the casino area. Mm -hmm. That's predominantly Latino. And they're along the Broad Street corridor. So, again, very good access to public transportation and jobs in the service industry.
0: Right, right. Um, Jesus, you identify your research and teaching in three areas. Uh, first, planning and placemaking for emerging immigrant communities. Uh, secondly, community development through service learning education. And third, pedagogical approaches to sustainable urban design. C- can you walk us through these areas? How do they inform or guide your work with students and community?
1: Sure, Elena. Let's first start with the planning and placemaking for emerging immigrant communities. Mm-hmm. In this part of my research, I examine how Latinx communities contribute to the phenomenon of urban revitalization through their appropriation of physical paces and consequent transformation of where previously economically distressed areas into vibrant, commun- into vibrant commercial and residential areas. Mm-hmm. Latino policemaking making and planning is aimed to understand the existing situation in order to make difference in practices. I- I'm one of the very few mm-hmm. scholars who focus on Latinx communities in terms of planning and design in the Midwest, with except Chicago. Mm-hmm. There are very few of us are looking at Latinx communities in terms of urban design and planning in the Midwest. Like the main focus has been either in the West Side, I mean the West Coast, East Coast, or Chicago, mm-hmm. but there are very few of us who are working on these areas. What I do in this area of research, I focus on identifying opportunities for Positive Shames and product, Productive Collaboration. I use case studies to show how Latinos are already helping to revitalize urban areas and identify ways in, who, in which planners, designers, and policymakers can work with the Latino community. In my last publication, The Latino placemaking Book, I look at different case studies. I look at Phoenix, Arizona. I lived there for seven years. Mm-hmm. I looked at Columbus. I looked at Detroit, Detroit, mm-hmm. and Indianapolis. Columbus, Detroit, and Indianapolis are some of the newest destinations for immigrants. So mm-hmm. I, I use case study method to understand what are the transformation that are taking place in some of these neighbor in corridors, in some of these commercial corridors in neighbors and neighbors on these three cities.
0: Uh, yeah, and and it's uh, specifically um, in the Midwest, all three in cities. Midwest, right, yeah. right. Um I just have a a quick follow up in regards to to that, um, you know, to your research and teaching in this area. And is what uh, do you see as um, maybe a particular way in which Latino neighborhoods can fight gentrification? Right. Because that's inevitable um, when when. when we think of revitalizing a neighborhood, oftentimes it means removing the people yes. that have been there historically. Uh, so how, how are Latino, Latina, Latinx communities um, able to fight that? Or um, how can we, you know, make sure that they're empowered to or that they know um, how to um, make sure that their neighborhood, neighborhood remains um, what it is?
1: well what 's really important mm-hmm. here they need to be part of the, par- the the planning process they need to voice their concerns needs and concerns that's really important. Mm-hmm. If nobody hears from Latino community, they are going to assume that everyone is okay. Mm-hmm. but they need to be more active in the planning participation planning process. One thing is organized with nonprofit organizations, community leaders that that's really important so when there's a proposal for something happening in this neighborhood, they need to be part of the discussion. Mm-hmm. One thing that I do in my classes. When I teach service learning education, that's pretty much what we do. We go with the, to the communities, we talk to the residents, and we make sure they're part of the design and planning process. So when we come up with a plan or vision for a neighborhood, their concerns are actually taken into consideration as mm-hmm. we develop these visions for development in neighborhoods. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And what, um, so do you work with this, when you do this type of work, um, like you mentioned, you work with the community to get their impu- input, um, but you also work with, City planning, City I planning. assume. Yep. Okay. And, um, and how, what, what do you see? Um, what positive results do you see on this?
1: Actually, this goes into my second area of research, sure. which is community development through service learning education. Mm-hmm. This has been instrumental to the development of my teaching, research, and community service. I practice a community-engaged pedagogy that allows students to get understanding of relevant design theories, policies, and planning processes as we work with different public agencies, non-profit organizations, and community groups. It's not just teaching here in the classroom. The idea is to get students involved in the process, come out to the community, and get to know who lives there and Mm -hmm. immerse in the community. We don't live there, so we have to rely and depend on what we get from Input We get from their local residents. So that's why it's really important that the students get to know the residents, immerse in the community. We do several outreach and engagement activity, community meetings, so get to know the people mm-hmm. and see what are the needs and concerns. So as we develop planning and for this community, they're considered part of the design process.
0: And the work that you've done uh, with, with the students and the community, have you noticed or can you share? a uh, uh, a time or an experience where it has been positive and, and, and really um, having an impact on the feedback that you provide to the city uh, for for particular you know, development or um, yeah, buildings or anything like that.
1: Sure. Just to give an example, probably about three or four years ago, we work on the west side, Columbus. We work with the Parks and Recs Department to mm-hmm. develop a vision for a bike trail that goes from downtown Columbus mm-hmm to the 270 freeway. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's part of a much larger bicycle network, but that was the missing link. If you look at where this area is located, it's in the west side, mm-hmm. one of the areas with very underserved community, very mm-hmm. few resources. So the idea, how, how can we develop something that's going to serve the neighborhood as well as the much larger community? So my students developed this vision for a bicycle trail. We went to the local high school, the junior high, and we talking with their students there. We found that, that most of them haven't even been outside the city. They haven't done any camping, things like that, outside activities. I mean, mm-hmm. they were pretty much in the neighborhood. And one of these main issues on these neighbors is that very limited access to recreational facilities. Mm-hmm. There is a, a difference between you. neighbors around the university compared to the west side. There are very mm-hmm. limited resources in terms of green areas. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to develop a park that actually provide opportunities for camping grounds within an urban area, so that would allow the students, I mean, not the students, the residents, mm-hmm. to go camping within the city without having to leave the city. Mm-hmm. So actually, we the students proposed something that will that will benefit the local residents. So was, that was really interesting. We, we assumed that all the people in the community had the opportunity to do camping uh, Underlies, but we found out that that was not the case. Mm-hmm. And what was the main reason why they hadn't done it? Did well, first, they don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. Like transportation. The transportation. I mean, mm-hmm. what we did, what my students proposed, was to provide all the resources available to the community so they will be, have access within walking distance. That's another big issue. Mm-hmm. We also found out that in order to use Sport facilities, recreational facilities, sometimes they need to take public transportation. They're not within a walking distance. Mm-hmm. That's the, the problem with this, mm-hmm. most of these neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So my students propose leisure activities, recreational facilities within a walking distance. Mm-hmm. And actually, one of the parks was actually built design and designed and built in opened up to the community probably last year, last summer.
0: Oh, great, yeah. great. That has to feel good. Yes. <laughs> that the I input mean,
1: from your class, right, yeah. had... E- even though the students didn't design the park, we found out this is what they need, and based on that, the city hired a designer to focus on that project. Right, right. Great. So tell me more about your pedagogical approaches
0: uh, to sustainable urban design.
1: Well, initially, my... My f- my research area concentration is about sustainable urban design, mm-hmm. looking at how to make communities more livable, how to improve the quality of life in depressed and underserved communities. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be focused on Latinx community, but any community mm-hmm. that actually has a need to improve the quality of life. So my focus has been how to improve the quality of life through urban design, sustainable urban design practices. In other words, hacking. I create neighborhoods and communities that improve the quality of life for residents. This is what is known as restorative urban design. Mm-hmm. It's a new planning approach that targets responsible development and redevelopment of urbanized areas for both equity and sustainable perspective. Like I said, for the past 14 years, I've been teaching the service learning studio. What I do, I take my students to the community. Every community is different. I mean. Mm-hmm. Not all the solutions fit all the communities. So right. every time we do some of this service learning studio, the focus has to be different. For example, on the west side, we focus on recreational facilities and access to green infrastructure. When we work on the Morse Road corridor, the idea ha- how to improve the quality of life for pedestrians. This mm-hmm. is an area that's highly commercial. There are f- a lots of immigrants moving and living in that area. That, that's a,
0: lots of traffic. Lots
1: of traffic. How to slow down that traffic too. Mm-hmm create safety zones. So that was the focus of that studio. Well, the studio's topics are diverse. We need to find out what are the needs and concerns of the community, and we focus on that area. So the topics are always different, and we, we focus on the specific solutions for those topics. But again, the most important component here is that we take the, the input from residents, mm-hmm. and with their help, we develop these visions. We mm-hmm. develop a sustainable plan for the west side and then we go back to the community, present their findings, and get their feedback. It's not only the, the, the business leader, the people who lead there, everyone involved in the process. We get to have their input, and that's reflected in the, the visions that we generate for these communities.
0: Right. Uh, Jesus, when I think of susta- sustainable urban design, um, I also think of maybe abandoned buildings that are, that are you know— uh, revitalized there are remodeled and put to use you know for either housing or or uh, commercial purposes or you know things like that is that part also of um the sustainable design it that is. you mentioned yeah
1: it is it is a major part and actually this reflecting a Latinx community like i said they tend to move areas where rents are low and affordable so they can start their own businesses for example if you look at the west side columbus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We used to have the big mall there. Mm-hmm. It's closed down. It's mm-hmm. just no businesses. There's no revenue, tax revenue for the city. And then we have the Plaza Tapatia next mm-hmm. to there. with was a Latino supermarket. I was
0: just there last night.
1: <laughs> I go there regularly. So people don't understand, even though the, the mall is not generating any taxes, any revenue for the city, if you look just one block aw- away from the mall, we have the Plaza Tapatia, mm-hmm. which generating business, In areas that have been dilapidated and abandoned, they're retrofitting all all, all buildings for new purposes. Mm -hmm. That's one thing the Latinx community are really good when they come to these neighbors, they revitalize the neighbors, they retrofit the houses, they have their businesses, and they live above those businesses. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. Mm -hmm. They're providing a service to the community, they're generating jobs, and they're generating income not only for themselves, but also for, for the community.
0: Right, um, and, and what you mentioned too is, is is key, right? That that they're not necessarily looking for new buildings or or, or building right uh, new construction. Um, they actually move into already existing building uh, buildings and um, and uh, find a home there or a business, a home for their business.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I'm trying to do the, here with the Latinx studies. The, the the city officials and the pro, they need to know this is something that is happening, and it benefits everyone. Why not formalize the process and why not make this process easier for Latinx community to retrofit some of these businesses and establish their own?
0: Provide incentives, Provide right? Incentives. Yeah, yeah, I for mean, abandoned yeah. buildings, for example.
1: Mm-hmm. Like I said, the main goal here is to. Make people aware that this is something that benefit everyone, and provide the resources that are needed to continue to the pro- to continue facilitating the process.
0: Right, right. Uh, Jesus, is there anything else you would like to add
1: uh, to our conversation about your work or your future research? Well, one thing that I will say is important not to underst- underestimate the power of culture when it comes to revitalizing cities. Mm-hmm. This is really, really important. For example, when Latin communities moved into these neighborhoods, they bring their culture with them, their colors, their food, their music. This is something that makes cities more livable. Mm -hmm. This is part of the DNA culture of Latinx people. So Mm -hmm. when they come to the United States, we don't have those plazas, the big, big squares. So they have to modify everything around them. And that's how they create more livable communities and revitalize some of these neighborhoods. So don't underestimate the power of culture when it comes to revitalizing processes. You
0: know, I just want to add that you just made me think about las plazas, no? the squares and the importance of that in, in many of our Latin American countries. And I do hope in the future that's part of the planning process uh, as we revitalize Uh, or support uh, Latinx neighborhoods around cities in in the Midwest and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for this conversation. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima.